Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Jed Talks. My name is Jed Shepard and I am your host. Uh, this week before we get going with our main interview, I'm going to talk a little bit about Halloween and specifically where you can watch my film host. Uh, I guess this is quite selfish but I'm so excited and you're going to be able to watch it in cinemas everywhere. Um, so just the little announcement that I got today was that the number of cinemas is going to be in on Halloween. We're doing a special live in-person Q&A at the Genesis Cinema in East London. So if you want to see us in person, you'll see us there. But if you're in these following places, you will be able to see host plus a specially pre-recorded Q&A with the cast and myself and Rob. Um, and it's great. And um, yeah, it's just a little bit of a Halloween preview of host before the main release in December. So I'm going to quickly go through the list of cinemas you'll be able to see it at. So uh, Curzon Soho, Curzon Bloomsbury, Curzon Allgate, the Curzons in Wimbledon, Oxford, Canterbury, Sheffield, Colchester, uh, First Sight in Colchester, Storyhouse in Chester, the Mareel in Shetland, we're in Shetland, Filmhouse in Edinburgh, McRoberts Arts in Stirling. Belmont and Aberdeen, the Rio in Dalston, great, great cinema, I love it. Uh, these following are all in Odeon, so Camden Odeon, Covent Garden, Holloway, Leicester Square Odeon, Massive, Swiss Cottage, Islington, Tottenham Court Road, Wimbledon. All these next ones are Empire Cinemas, Birmingham, Ipswich, Sunderland, Sutton, Sw- Swindon, Walthamstow, Wigan, uh, and then we're in another, I would say, 30 Odeons. Basically, I'll cut it a long story short. If you have an Odeon next to you and you're in the UK, we're in that Odeon. We'll be there. Um, we're going to find out if we're going to be in Everyman Cinemas and the Light uh, Suite of Cinemas on Monday, but we probably will be. So we have over 100 chances to see host in the cinema on Halloween. Tell your friends, bring your parents, um, tell your dog to come with you. Just get everyone to see it on Halloween. Um, it'll be a special preview and then it'll get its full cinematic run all around the world on December 4th. And we've got a cool new poster to go along with it. If you're in America, never fear because it will be in a bunch of places. It's playing in an IMAX cinema, I think on the 27th of October uh, in Indianapolis. And then Shudder are doing this thing called the Shudder Drive-In, which is a one of the kind Halloween special event. Um, obviously in association with AMC and what it is it's basically a 4D experience where you'll be able to rock up in your car and watch um, a few of the best Shudder uh, exclusives um, on a big screen you'll be able to see Blood Quantum which I bloody love Host and the Mortuary Collection which ties into this week's episode um, and uh, yeah so it's not just drive, uh, driving there watching a film driving home what you will see is a 4D experience where you will get people running around dressed in character you'll get things thrown at you in a good way there'll be cool things to see and do there it's going to be a brilliant socially distanced uh, experience so don't worry about going in and having to be next to other people it's professionally run of course and it's going to be completely awesome i wish i could make it out to those american ones um if you are at the woodland hills location in california the start at frisco in texas or the bellworks in holmdel new jersey you you'll be able to see this amazing shutter driving thing i hope they do it every year i want to make it out to it next year so you've got all those opportunities to see host in the cinema as well as at home on shutter if you want to and yeah i'm so so excited and i'm also so excited for my guest this week which is ryan spindell the writer director of the mortuary collection Today, I have the pleasure of talking to the writer-director of Shudder's new film, The Mortuary Collection, Ryan Spindell. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Jen. Thanks for having me, man. This is so cool. Yeah, no, really good to have you on. Am I saying your surname right? Spindell? Spindell, correct. Yes, thank nice. you for getting it right. <laughs> um, well, I've got to say, like, I, I watched Mortuary Collection recently and absolutely blown away by it. And we were speaking bef- before this, but like, the, the gist is that I am so 
skeptical about modern anthology films because there are so many out there across all the different like streaming channels and i don't think there's been one that's pulled it off for a for a very very long time i'm struggling to think of one to be to be quite honest um so i went in into this with a bit of trepidation but i was happily surprised at how good it was not only were each of the individual stories they held up on their own as standalones but the most important thing about anthologies is the wraparound story which holds the whole thing together without a coherent wraparound story it's dead and you managed to pull it off great and it integrated into the into the different stories like i'm so impressed so um thank you yeah so like how i like to do this i kind of like to start at the it, start. it occurs to me yeah. It occurs to me that maybe the low expectations people have going in is working in our favor. Oh, that yeah. sort of people go in and they're like, this is going to be shit. And then <laughs> we, all we have to do is be better than shit. And we've, we've won. I know how that feels. I know how that feels. <laughs> um, but like, so a lot of um, the people who who kind of listen to this podcast, a lot of them are like up and coming filmmakers um, who kind of want to know, how do you get to the point where you're making a film like this on Shudder? Um, so where did you start? Most filmmakers have a similar kind of like origin story, but like, what was yours? How how did you get into film? Um, you know, it, it's tricky. I I was actually thinking about this the other day because I love, (laughs) I love podcasts too. I've, I've been like obsessed with just listening to podcasts of different filmmakers and how they found their way. And I found that, uh, the common, the, the answer that everyone gives that they think is clever, but is actually like, really wrote is that, uh, well, you know, I saw Jurassic Park and then, uh, <laughs> I, uh, or, or some, or, you know, uh, sort of put in whatever Spielberg movie you like. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. and then uh, I asked, I begged my parents to get me a camera and I just started making movies <laughs> with their friends. Yeah, yeah, and the yeah. thing is, is that like, basically everybody's done that. Even people who aren't filmmakers did that exact same thing. Yeah, yeah, I feel yeah. like the genesis to actually deciding when you're, you're going to sort of dedicate your life to this, because mm-hmm. as you know, it's not like a casual hobby. It's a, it's an obsession. Yeah. It's, it's a career slash obsession slash everything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that usually that for me, that came, at least for me, I, I don't want to you know speak in broad terms, but for me that came uh, in college where I, I went, went to school for art and photography and design. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always said I was going to be a filmmaker, but I didn't really know what that meant. I spent a lot of my time just drinking beer and doing nothing with myself. <laughs> and uh, afterwards I got a job, um, working as a 3d modeler in this laboratory and uh i was sitting in this like tiny cubicle very much in a laboratory like you would see in a marvel movie it really was it was oh really yeah it was in tallahassee florida it was the biggest magnet in the world supposedly it was so strong that if they turned the magnet on high every compass in the united states would point towards florida that's the origin um, of, I, a, of a of a supervillain story. That is, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I fell into a vat of acid. Uh, realized I wanted to make films, and from there, the rest is history. No, I, I just I just worked in this. They they kind of had us crammed in this cubicle, and I, I realized for the first time in my life that, oh, I, I can't I can't see this being who who I am forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's time for me to really buckle down. And um, luckily, uh, FSU had a really fantastic film school. They still do have a fantastic film school. And they were making movies on film every weekend. And I just started volunteering and I ended up volunteering on, I think maybe 64 films before I got into the program. And then I worked on another. You made 64 films. Like, yeah, well, I worked on them because the the way the, the way the program worked is, is you had to do every job on a film set five times. Mm -hmm. So between the volunteering and then actually getting in the program, I think when I, when I left Tallahassee, I had, I had worked on like 106 films or something, and wow. I'd done everything. Like I'd held the boom six times, I'd directed yeah. five times, I'd I'd run a grip electric truck, uh-huh. and uh, and it really was sort of a, an amazing background that really kind of gave me appreciation mm-hmm. for the craft. But more so, and this is something that I talked to about a lot of uh, of I think this is something that we can all associate with. It's like the work and the and the craft of making film is what gets you there. But I think it's the people yeah. that make movies with you that keep you there. Definitely, and it definitely. was sort of surrounding myself with these really amazing people that were just as obsessed and just as insane as me that really sort of solidified that it would be how I spend the rest of my life. Um, so, yeah, that's my I don't know why I'm going so far back. I no, no. Because I've said the Spielberg thing before. I just didn't want to say it again. I was like, you know what? That is a dishonest and uninteresting <laughs> no it's good it's 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 either spielberg or Raymond. it's always those two yeah uh, yeah so, so then you you got out of uh college and and then what what did you have your, your mindset on okay i'm gonna make a movie right now 
and but now you, you don't have the possibly the resources that you had while you were in college where you had access to that equipment and stuff. Yes. What happened? I've been spoiled. <laughs> and I've been spoiled rotten too, because the, yeah. the way that program is designed is it kind of trains you to get to leave film school and step onto a studio production. Yeah. So we had cranes and Panther dollies and full grip uh, electric trucks. Yeah. We had all these tools mm-hmm. and they, and, and, it, and if, if there was ever a student that came out of the school during the time I did that went onto a studio project, which there wasn't, but if had they done that, they would have been <laughs> the best new person on the studio project. Yeah, but yeah. the big downside was we all left FSU with all this amazing skills, but not any sort of idea of how to make an independent movie. Yeah. from the ground up um so there was there was this so this can i stop you so, so they, yeah. they so they uh, so at, at fsu they taught you the practical side of things but they didn't tell you how to actually go about like funding things and like making movies. That's, no. that's interesting okay no well because it, see it's a it's a it was a two-sided coin um the way the program was was created was it was very small so there's 24 kids in a class right and what they would do is they would fully finance um each of your shorts. So you would make five shorts by the time you left there. And each one would get significantly bigger. And because your classmates were your crew, you always had a crew. Mm -hmm. We shot everything on film at the time. uh, And we had bigger, bigger equipment packages. So by the time we came out, so so the idea was to just be a creative bubble to just explore the craft of filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And in that regard, it was an unprecedented program. Like like you cannot find anything like that. We, yeah. we just, we just for two years straight, we just lived and breathed movies. There was barely any like classes. We just were in the field making movies. That's so Amazing. Cool. So cool. But I, but I do think at the time when it was created and when the program was developed, that was a time when people were, were leaving school and they were working on in the studio system, but the studio system had started to sort of, sort of dismantle to some degree for new filmmakers around the time I graduated. And so, and that was in 2007. And so, at that point, um, people were coming out and there were no jobs in the studios and they didn't, we didn't really know how to finance anything or do any of the sort of business side of things. And a lot of students just sort of drifted away altogether because it was like too big of a challenge to overcome. But yeah. a few of us really started like, okay, let's start from scratch. Let's learn how to like make things small. We still have those big ideas in our head, which kind of yeah. is going to eventually probably bring us to the mortuary collection. Mm-hmm. We still had these big aspirations, but now how do we pull these things up without the sort of traditional resources that you would normally have yeah and then you so you had uh, you had a bunch of short films under your belt uh including the babysitter babysitter murders which were, you did a little bit later in 2015 did you mm-hmm. so so yeah you had like f- seven or eight um according to imdb shorts under your belt by the time you got to the babysitter murders and mm-hmm. so at what stage of your kind of like life were you at, at that point because Obviously, the babysitter murders. We see that within the uh, the mortuary collection. Mm-hmm. When you made it, like 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 I do, did you have in mind? Okay, this is going to be part of a bigger thing, but we'll make this as proof of concept. Is that is that how how it works? I, I did. I did. Yeah. I, I graduated film school. I made a, a film in film school called Kirksdale, which was my thesis film, oh, nice. and that was the film that sort of did a bunch of festivals and I, I got some really great reps out of it. And that kind of brought me to LA. I think mm-hmm. my initial plan was always, I'm going to stay on the East coast. I'm going to Sam Raimi <laughs> and up in the woods in North Carolina. I'm gonna make that first <laughs> nice. And, uh, and so, you know, once you had these reps, it was like, well, you have to go to LA, you have reps. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I sort of moved to LA and I, that kind of, I got caught in this circle of just taking a lot of meetings um, and not making anything for mm-hmm. years. It was like, it just felt like my, my career was on the cusp of breaking yeah. But then it just fizzled out because people like a short film for a few months and then they sort of move on, which is the nature yeah. of our industry. So did, um, they, did they at that point, did you, did they, because usually what happens, you make a call short that, that some people say, great. And then they say, do you have a um, a longer version of this short? So w- w- was Kirksdale ever going to be like a, like a, like a feature basically? Is that- it was, it, it yeah. was, it was actually optioned by a pretty great company here and we started working on the feature, but um but it was, I found it incredibly difficult for me to, uh, to sort of take something that I'd really kind of envisioned as one whole complete story and then expand it without it feeling, um, like a bunch of filler, the same story without filler. Um, and so that was kind of a tricky thing. And and I ended up coming up with this pitch that I I really liked, which was basically like a Rashomon style movie set in a 1960s mental hospital in the deep South. And essentially it was, um, the same kind of, uh, 
the same story told through three different perspectives and we had to figure out which one was, was sort of correct. Mm-hmm. And um, they were, the, the company that opted it was just not into that. They said, uh, can it be modern? Can it be one story? And can it be teenagers? And I was like, <laughs> it, again, this was a time when the, the idea of what horror had to be was a yeah. lot more limited. This was sort of the, the post hostile uh, saw era when, yeah. when, um, I think executives were, were very scared to think outside sort of a genre box. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so basically I just lived in LA for a while and it took me a while to regroup from that. Uh, you know, the, the thinking it's, you know, they say Hollywood is the only place that you can, uh, you can die from encouragement. And, uh, (laughs) I believe that I, I, I genuinely believe that there are a lot of people that will sort of, you know, stoke the flames, but will ultimately help you get anywhere. And it ends up being up to you to sort of make something happen, Definitely. as you know more than anyone. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, what ended up happening is I because I was I made a bunch of shorts and it became, you know, clear that like while shorts were an amazing exercise, um, you couldn't really do much with them. And I had written this feature as an anthology movie that sort of because I had so many shorts in my mind that I really wanted to execute. Um, I had sort of created them, but I had nothing to do with them, and I was like, I'm just guess I'm going to make these over, you know, over a long period of time. And basically I sort of compiled them all together into this anthology and started sort of developing it. Um, and again, we talked about this briefly before we started recording, but I, my, 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 the foundation for the anthology was I want to look at all the anthologies that I love or, or don't love so much. I want to find out what works and what doesn't work. And I want to try to avoid the pitfalls that I think they fall into. Yeah. And so a lot of work was put into sort of creating something that felt you know, I wanted to stay honest to this idea that I wanted it to be an anthology first and foremost. I didn't want mm-hmm. to fool people like intercut and interweave and, and, and pretend it's not an anthology. I really wanted yeah. self-contained short stories and I wanted a narration sort of guiding us through. Yeah. But then I was like, can I do that? But also still sort of fool people into thinking it's something bigger than than sort of the sum of its parts, basically. Yeah. And um, and I created I, I wrote I created the uh, Mortuary Collection. And um, then I had this feature that absolutely nobody was going to make for sure. Like if you write an anthology feature and try to sell it in Hollywood and you're not Guillermo del Toro, it's not going to happen. And even Guillermo del Toro probably have tried. Yeah. We've tried. Okay. So you know, we tried. You know. I mean, we, we might be able to do it now, but like we've tried previously before host and yeah, it, it's very difficult. <laughs> it's tricky. It's yeah. tricky. And I, 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 of course I'm like, I just have this sort of part of me that I, all, I just always do the thing I shouldn't do. Every time someone says you can't do something, I'm like, well, that means if you do it and you succeed, yeah, it'll be special, right? Exactly. That's the exact right frame of mind. Yeah, prove everyone <laughs> wrong you, and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because because the the easier you can take the easy road, and the yeah. easy road is what everyone else is doing, and you're just competing against this whole slew of other people, exactly that are exactly. sort of doing it, and then you're gonna have Ari Aster come and make the best thing ever, and you're gonna yeah. look like a piece of garbage, and yeah. you're gonna have to like leave. So. Is there He's making us all look bad. Don't worry. He's making us yes. all look bad. Like <laughs> I would argue, I would actually argue he's so good that he doesn't even make me feel bad because he's like almost on like another yeah, level. Yeah. Don't count him as like a filmmaker. He's just, he's, yeah. he's almost on a different level. Yeah. Imagine imagine your first movie being hereditary. Imagine. Jeez Louise. I think, I think we all imagine our first movie hereditary. Yeah, yeah. It just it just doesn't turn out that way. <laughs> um but before we go into like the, the actually what's the what the mortuary collection is about mm-hmm. um so before you made it you had in your mind what an anthology uh kind of was an, an, an anthology horror film was what were the anthologies that you looked at in order to take the best part? we won't we won't dwell on the bad ones but what were the best sure. ones that you uh kind of y- you enjoyed and the ones that you wanted to emulate the most yeah i mean it's obviously creep show was sort yeah. of the foundation creep show was the movie it was uh, one of these horror movies that, as a kid, I, I couldn't really watch horror. I was kind of mm-hmm. kind of a wimp, but I could watch Creepshow, and, yeah. and I think it's because Creepshow would always sort of trick me by kind of fe- it felt like a Saturday morning cartoon. Do you remember? There's the animation at the beginning. Yeah, it's yeah, whimsical, yeah. and the music. It just feels like something that's made for kids. Yeah, which um, which I think it is actually. I think I think uh, Romero went into that movie thinking I'm going to make a movie for kids of any age yeah i think that was the sort of idea that's what mm-hmm. ec comics are right they're, yeah they're exactly sort of this, yeah this very iconic idea of the things that we loved when we were younger um and so that was probably the biggest influence in that i i, I wanted to create a movie that was like that i wanted to sort of create something that when you get into it it maybe does feel a little bit sort of 
fun and light and something for uh, for all audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like a, a live action Haunted Mansion, uh, if you're not counting the actual live action Haunted yeah. Mansion that was made. Um, and then, and so, so that was probably the, and then the idea is that, you know, just like Creed Show, it starts to slowly evolve without you really knowing it until suddenly you're, you're into something that's, that's a little bit more intense and a little bit more scary, but you've kind of, you've kind of, you know, been eased in mm-hmm. gently. So, so you're able to do it. Um, the idea of sort of like a gateway horror film, I think is, is really yeah. appealing to me. <clears throat> um, but then every, I mean, I, I, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the Amicus films. Oh, love uh, them. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. And it's funny because I, in my mind, an anthology film has always been a sort of a single director project. Mm-hmm. It's a single yeah. story created by a single team. And I think recently they've, you know, the um, sort of uh, uh, aggregated anthologies have become, have become popular. And honestly, some of the stories and some of those are my favorites. I, I love yeah. them. Yeah, but they don't really quite hit on the on what I love about the old school anthologies. Yeah, and it was actually surprising to me when one of the biggest questions that I get a lot now is, "Oh, so you directed all of them? Like, like that's <laughs> the the abnormally, which I guess I guess it sort of is now." Um, yeah, I feel like companies are just hedging their bets when they have multiple directors for 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 each segment. But yeah, it was always it was always in the past like one director, one vision, uh, one di- actually writer director. Um, and then you have a coherent anthology, and I think maybe that's where a lot of people have gone wrong recently, where it's it's just a mess because there's it, there's too many it's too many ingredients, and it'll m- make a shit cake. <laughs> it, it is. I I will say this though, I did discover why that is over the course of making. Oh, okay. Uh, and it's because it's uh, well, we can we can get into sort of that that component, but but yeah. yeah so I, I had I had watched all of these anthologies. I'd seen them before, but I, I did a deep dive. The Amicus ones, I'd seen some of the. the um, I love them. I watched I them all. I literally I went through every single one of them. I absolutely oh, really? love Amicus. Yeah, I have, have a dream. Uh, you tell us from the crypts. Yeah, but yeah. like, I want to uh, like because like, as soon as I like, I bought a book um, or I found a book in a thrift store for like fifty p of like the history of Amicus, and I was like, mm-hmm. this is a gem. So and like I went online, it was like worth three hundred quid, which, which is brilliant. But um, I went through it and just and I just found every single film off it and just watched everything, and it's just so good. I mean, they use like the same actors mostly for like most of the films, and it's just yeah. it's just scary as well. Like I don't know what it is. There's something scary about about them and. Um, yeah, it's just really well. They're very written. serious. Yeah, they're, very they're, serious. Yeah, Creep Show has like kind of veered the 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 subgenre off into a different direction. Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, in the U.S. here, but I think the original ones are very proper and British and uh, yeah, and scary. And weird yeah. as well. They're very weird. weird. <laughs> I love it. So weird. One of my one of my fa- um, favorite anthologies is uh, the Tales from the Dark Side uh, movie. Yes, because I feel the unofficial Creep Show three. The unofficial creep, creep show three exactly. Right. I um think that the wraparound story for that is is one of the best because you've got a little kid trying to distract a cannibal from eating him by telling us stories and mm-hmm. it's just really cool and really warped. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the one of the segments is just one of my favorite ever in an anthology, which is the one where the the man meets the kind of gargoyle monster and he, yeah. he breaks his promise. I love that. I love that. Um, he says that uh, you you promise, <laughs> and, just you in promise. The, and then she just warps into this monster, and their kids warp into monsters too. It makes kind of so no good. sense, but yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, but yeah, no. yeah. Sorry, go on. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I love. I love. I mean, I could talk about it. <laughs> yeah, but th- that's the kind of. I was going to say that's the kind of thing that I love about anthologies. Like you it's something for everyone like if you don't like one story don't worry there'll be another one that you might like next um mm-hmm. but if you manage to get like all three or four of your segments gr- like like good and the wraparound stories amazing then you've got something um, like great the vhs vhs uh anthologies i mm-hmm. think they vary in quality because the wraparound stories for some of the later ones don't quite work, even though there are some great individual stories. It all comes down yeah. to the wraparound. Um, yes. So I think yes. for, for people out there who uh, want to make an anthology, get that right first. Get get make it a story, not just like someone like a creepy skeleton like 
like introducing or something. Um, which, which interestingly is the creep show one, which is the, the one that people show, yeah. is the foundation. That's that's very very true. Um, <laughs> but I love it because it's just like a campfire story. That that that's what anthologies are. It's sitting around the campfire telling spooky stories, trying to one up the last one. Um, I agree, and I think I, I think that the, the short story format is uh, is a really is just a really amazing place uh, for especially genre content. I think yeah. that. Horror stories, um, there are so many that don't need an 80-minute runtime mm-hmm. to sort of be told that yeah. don't have a place have a place to exist in sort of a for a wider audience. Like I actually, and, and I don't know if you if you agree with this or not, but I feel like a lot of horror, modern horror movies are these really great concepts that make great trailers because if <laughs> yeah. the trailer is all this all the first act, right? So yeah, the first yeah, yeah, act yeah. is great. Then the second act falls apart and then they don't know what to do with the third act. So they just try to like one up everything. Totally. And you're like, oh man, that could have been an, a fantastic 20, 30 minute short. Yeah. Um, but but there, but that there's no way to make money with that. So everything becomes expanded and sort of stretched yeah. out. And I think that was a big part with this. It was like, can I find a way to take these stories that I love and sort of package them in a way that they can sort of find a wider audience? And like you said, is there like a because so many anthologies um, feel like there's like one segment that was the crown jewel and then there's like a bunch of filler. <laughs> yeah. I remember like, I was like, they, they can we make all of them at least great for mm-hmm. what they are? Like I have learned that you can't appeal to everybody. If you want to make something that has uh, different subgenres and different types of stories in it, you're inevitably going to like, some stories are going to please some people and some they're going to disappoint people. Yeah, so yeah. I think the baseline was like, none of them should be bad, should be like objectively bad. And then can we make each of them great for the audiences that sort of respond to that type of story? And I think the biggest, the, the, the nicest thing about sort of having this movie come out, the Mortuary Collection, is that um, the stories that people love are not consistent. They're, they sort of bounce around from person to person. Yeah. And of course, as the creator, I get a little butt hurt when I'm like, but all my children are beautiful. <laughs> but at the same time, I love that they're, that it's not just like one clearly the best story that people are responding to. And then a bunch of sort of duds. It's, it's sort of from person to person, which I think is, yeah. is, is special. And so like in terms of when you, when you wrote this, did you have all, well, I mean, you, you kind of already knew that you wanted to use uh, the babysitter murders as one of them, I'm guessing. You had that as your uh, yes. kind of starting point, I'm guessing. Um, how did you come mm-hmm. up with the other ones? Like, did, did you have them in mind for short films or did you write them specifically for the for the Mortuary Collection? Yeah, I started off with just a, a like a, a Google, not even a Google Doc, a, a Word Doc of all these different sort of one-line ideas that I had that I thought would make interesting stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I sifted through that and I picked my four favorite ones. And then I um, wrote those first as unique stories because, again, I wanted, I did want them to be standalone stories. I, I wanted to ultimately, if you took any of them out of the movie, it would still be a satisfying yeah. three-act structure which I think is sort of also something that's missing from some anthologies. Yeah. Um, and then I sort of really dove in deep on the wraparound and the wraparound started off. I will admit the wraparound started off very basic and surface level. And it was something probably more akin to, um, tell from the dark side, just a very yeah. funny bookends, like a setup payoff joke. Yeah. Um, but over the course of developing the movie and starting to think about it, I started to think more about, you know, one of my, my producers would kept saying like, well, what's this about? What's the theme? What, what, what's the, what's the one idea? He was like, maybe it's a, it's about, uh, all evil deeds, uh, evil, evil deeds, you pay the price. And I was like, no, man, that is the oldest thing in the book. Like that just comes with the package. You can't make yeah. a movie about, you know, evildoers that pay. Um, but then I was like really thinking about it and I started thinking about stories and, mm-hmm. and what I loved about stories and what I loved specifically about short stories. Um, and it started, I started sort of thinking a lot about my love for classic cinema and how I have this sort of, uh, sort of anachronistic love of the past but also my love for sort of new horror that sort of subverts expectations and twists things on, and you know, tur- turns ideas on their head. And Sam and Montgomery kind of manifested as these two parts of my brain that were battling over yeah. what stories are, are, are the best stories. Yeah. And um, I'm hoping that the, the takeaway is that, you know, both are, both have sort of value. It's sort of the combination of the two where something sort of new can be made. Yeah. Um, did um did the the character of Montgomery 
I'm guessing there is some as a nod to one of my favorite horror films, which is Phantasm. Um, I'm guessing Phantasm was quite a big influence on this, and and I yes. love that. And I, was, I, I just love the fact that it is like a, a very, very kind of similar kind of um, mortuary. The a guy that works in the mortuary. Uh-huh. And instantly, just 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 to look at him straight away, you knew this guy is trouble, and it, there's more than eye <laughs> with him as well. Yeah. And I was like, oh my god! And I almost wanted it to be a like a, a backdoor phantasm like reboot or something. That yeah. Cool. Um, <laughs> but he, yeah, and he was like freaky, absolutely freaky looking. Um, but That's I kind great. of kind of knew just knowing horror films, I knew there would be some there'll be a twist, there'll be some kind of twist. Um, something else. Well, yeah. That's, and and that's the thought too is like you know again it started off with this very sort of uh this thing we've seen before it's the big creepy the house in the hill the creepy guy telling the stories i wanted to start with the foundation because i genuinely do love that whether it's hacky or not i love it it's just part of my dna i wanted to get into that but then we started thinking about like well how do we sort of do something more of that how do we start to evolve this character and i was actually thinking about um the crypt keeper and tells from this crypt and i was thinking like every week we would go into his, his sort of crypt and he would sort of perform for us and he would tell us these stories and he had these fun puns, but he was like putting on a show. Yeah. And then I was like, well, what does he do when we're not there? Like, is he That's so interested? Yeah. Is he trapped in that house? Like, yeah. why is he telling us these stories? And so then just the exploration of the storyteller character a little deeper started mm-hmm. like, you know, start uncovering some interesting uh, facets of, of what could sort of, what eventually became, uh, where the whole story goes. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, oh, I love Phantasm. Yeah. yeah, just Phantasm, yes. I mean, 100%, huge influence. <laughs> the thing that's great about uh, uh, the horror anthology th- format is that it's multiple stories, and so it gave me this excuse to put everything I love about horror in there. And, yeah. I, and, I could, and the more stuff I put in, the more robust it felt. And so yeah. there is everything from Peter Jackson to Sam Raimi to Steven Spielberg to, yeah, yeah, especially with like um the with the, the, the babysitter murders like segment like mm-hmm. that was very ramy some of some of the some of those camera moves it was very ramy and we'll come on to like the ramy st- stuff afterwards but um mm-hmm. who who kind of influences your style like your your shooting style and, and you're writing the most um besides like uh i'm, ge- I'm guessing ramy's up there is there is there anyone else oh yeah i mean uh I've, you know, kind of going back to, to my uh, growing up and not liking horror movies, I was always <laughs> an art kid. I was yeah. like, I very much uh, wanted to be a cartoonist most of my life. Oh, nice. I would just draw and paint and uh, and read all the time. Uh, and and, and I, I like working with my hands, too. I'm, I'm a very tactile sort of hands-on person. So the the filmmakers that really got me into the genre are Sam Raimi. is is Evil Dead 2, which again, I understand that is a cliche, but I'm fully owning it. That's it's like, mine, mine it's too. Movie. That's my it's answer to everything. Yeah, it's Evil 2. Yeah. Well, you can't beat it. Yeah. <laughs> you can't beat it. it. It was the first time I saw a movie and I could see the filmmakers making it behind the scenes. I could yeah. just feel them and I could feel the glee and the sort of audacity and the creativity kind of bursting through the seams. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I love that it was low budget enough that I could see the seams because I needed to see those seams to understand that. Yeah, exactly. There was there were seamstresses working behind behind. Yeah. Um. And then on top of that, it was uh the same week I saw that for the first time. I also saw uh, Brain Dead or Dead Alive. Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Peter Jackson and those two movies. Uh, I don't. I can't really figure out which one gets more credit because I loved the Sam Raimi like the, just the pure rough style, but Peter Jackson, I love the storytelling. I love yeah. this like giant cartoon movie with some really clever storytelling happening on underneath the surface. Nobody would like watch that movie the first time and be like, that's a brilliant <laughs> piece of writing, but it is, it really is. It is. You study it. Your mama wonderful. ate my dog. I, I, love that. Yeah. <laughs> I love that film. Um, um, but those, those types of filmmakers and then, you know, getting a little bit older, but like it was uh, um, Guillermo del Toro, of course, um, uh, uh, Terry Gilliam. I, yeah. I really started being drawn to these, uh, David Fincher, these artists, these auteur artists that were really, <laughs> they weren't just about sort of one specific thing, but it was like a mise-en-scene all, all, as a whole. It was the yeah. look, it was the design, it was the effects. It was sort of a combination of everything coming together to make something wholly unique that I really responded to. Uh, and that's sort of the kind of thing I've been chasing ever since. 
which um, is an incredibly, incredibly tough uh, type of filmmaking to be passionate about in a time when everybody says, just make movies on your cell phone, if you can yeah. imagine. Hey, what, what are you trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying I want to be you. Okay, that's my raison d'etre. <laughs> um, no, I get it. I get it. Um, the, um, so when you, when, when you were making this, what went into the kind of casting process? Because you, you've got a win. Like in, in every segment, it's so well cast. Like, did you like how I make stuff like, cause we, we use our friends, but did, did you know these people beforehand or did you like go out there and, and cast Jeanette wide to, to get <laughs> a bunch of people? I, I did the same thing you did. I, yeah. I, I sat down and I looked at this insanely massive cast that we had to sort of pull off with no money. And the first thing I thought <laughs> of is I live in Los Angeles. I know a lot of actors. I thought about all of my favorite actors that I personally knew. And I just yeah. started thinking about the roles that I could plug them into. Nice. Um, so, so most of the cast are good friends and we sort of needed that because of the nature in which we shot this movie, we shot it sort of piece by piece over the course of two years. And mm -hmm. we really needed people that we did, that would sort of come in, do a day for us, be excited about it, show up and do a half day, do a shot, like little things that we could sort of piece this together in the way that we could get the, the quality we wanted. Um, without sort of going through the rigmarole of, of you know, just all the all, everything that comes with you know actors who you're not familiar with, and then beyond that, we had a few roles that we had to fill, um, that were the bigger sort of trickier roles or or roles that I didn't have somebody who could play, and for that we had a, a casting director named Rich Mento, who really sort of pulled off some miracles. He he's the one who found Jacob Elordi for us. Um, Jacob Elordi was this is he's uh, he's the guy from Euphoria but it was prior to him being in Euphoria and prior to his first movie, uh, The Kissing Booth, coming out. So he was kind of just like right. a fresh new actor who was visiting L.A. Yeah, uh, so we got yeah. really lucky with him. And he, he's amazing. He's he's going to be very, very famous. I mean, already is, but yeah, I feel like, I, yeah, I mean, I haven't watched The Kissing Booth, but like, I, I felt like he was really <laughs> a star. He, he seemed to, like, he's got like that real star kind of like, like like look look about him but um he I mean, is he, you you can feel it on set too it, it's he's he's like he's the real deal and, and, a, and a great guy yeah and i think like uh clancy brown for like for montgomery like so so cool like he just yeah if they ever do do it like another reboot of of um phantasm like he's a shoe in surely like for sure after this movie that's that's the biggest thing i think phantasm is getting more buzz after this movie than we are yeah. it's, it's it's been awesome and he's he's great yeah he's like he's the first person that i ever like worshipped as a as a performer and then mm -hmm. had to sort of go sit at a diner and convinced to do this movie. It was the first time I'd ever had to do the celebrity thing. And it was really, really nerve wracking because he's a shot. He's just, he's, he's kind of a scary guy. Like just yeah. aesthetically, he's tall, he's huge. And he's like genuinely the nicest, warmest person that I know. He was so oh, friendly, great. so down. Uh, and we just, we got together right away. So uh, we got along right away. So <clears throat> um, we got lucky and he was great on set too, which is a crazy thing because he's worked with the, best director really has world. yeah he really has and that's a scary thing when you're when you're a first-time director and you have this guy that's like i'm like is he judging me against frank darabont right here because <laughs> i don't think i could stand up yeah. to that um so not so, at all so he didn't throw his weight around and say on the short shot redemption i got this <laughs> and on like starship troopers i was i got this um <laughs> <laughs> on, on Pet Cemetery 2, I had my own trailer. This is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and um, like uh, Caitlin Custer. Um, mm -hmm. So, as, as Sam, how did you find her? So she was just a, like a friend in LA, or um... mm -hmm. she 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 was not a friend, but um, oh. a really good friend of mine was taking an acting class with Caitlin, mm -hmm. and I I reached out to to my friend, and I was just like. Actors are tricky because if you ask actors who are good actors, yeah. most actors don't know other good actors. It's, mm -hmm. I don't mean they don't know them personally. I mean, yeah. they have a hard time recommending. I don't know what it is. I think it's because a lot of their their friends are actors and they immediately want to go towards their friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But my friend Constance is just like brutal. And she's like, this girl, Caitlin, she's in my class. She's incredible. And she's got this dark streak that's like just, nice. it just pops off the screen. And I, nice. I saw a picture of her and I was like, no, she's too cute. She's too wholesome. Yeah. And she's like, no, just meet her. And I met her and I was like, okay, I'm rewriting this role for you. Oh, You're brilliant. fantastic. <clears throat> and that was, so I don't know if we talked about this, but we, so 
I wrote the film first and then I took one of the shorts, which was the babysitter murders. Yeah. And I made it as a proof of concept mm-hmm. five years ago. So I basically did a Kickstarter and made that movie with Caitlin five yep. years ago. So at the time she was uh, like newly married and sort of kind of new to LA. Mm-hmm. And in the course of making this movie, she's gone. She had a kid then got pregnant again. And then so there's actually a scene in the movie where she goes from newly married to one child to seven months pregnant, like in three cuts, which is insane. And that's sort of a testament to like having somebody who's great, who's just there to support the movie for all the right reasons. And ultimately the only way you can pull something like this off. Yeah. For for me, she, she was, she was a real standout. I mean, everyone was great, but like, like she had a real energy about her. Like, I was thinking, yeah, I need to, I need to remember this person's name. Um, and she also, she has to play opposite Clancy Brown too. Yeah. That's the tricky part, right? So she's, most of her scenes, at least leading up until the, her story yeah. are, it's like her in this big Gothic house with Clancy Brown chewing the scenery. Mm-hmm. And her job is to be sort of the conduit for us as an audience, but also she has to feel of the world. If she doesn't, if she's too grounded or too normal, I think it would sort of, take us out of the kind of fantasy that we're building yeah, so she yeah. had a really tricky a tricky sort of tightrope to walk as a performer that i think uh very few people could have pulled off um in a way that i think would have like you said i agree i think she's just she just she shines went, yeah she went toe-to-toe with with, with with clancy i think and was equal equal to him like the, the whole way she she was great um what one thing oh, uh, sorry go on go on oh no no i was just gonna say one other thing that to think about too that i think a lot of people sort of forget is that when you're making a movie with this low of a budget level, you don't really have time to get more than a couple takes either. Mm-hmm. So it's not like there's an extensive rehearsal process uh, and sort of what we're running the scenes and we're finding we're finding it in the room. It, it's very much, especially with the amount of set pieces and sort of components that we had to get for this in the short time. Mm-hmm. It's very much like show up on the day, get one or two takes. We got to move on to the next shot. And there's no coverage. There's no like, there's no extras. Everything is sort of very specifically designed yeah, yeah. to be on 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 the in the frame and so what you're looking at is actors who are just showing up and delivering on sometimes these like very tricky complicated multi-layered sort of uh scenes um without sort of all the the benefits of just living in it and breathing it and doing a, a shit ton of takes and i think that's something that you know i haven't i haven't really thought about it till just now but it's something to sort of be to be noted for the everyone in this movie Definitely. And I mean, that, that is something I actually wanted to touch on. Um, how did you raise the money for this? Was this like, just, just from my own experience, like, because uh, both of our films on Shudder, Shudder w- was in obviously at the start and they, and they gave us the money up front to make it. And mm-hmm. We made it in, in, in 12 weeks. Um, but how did they, how did you, I know, crazy, right? Um, crazy. So because this was over the course of two years, where, where did, well, first of all, how did you raise the money? And then at what stage did, did Shudder step in? Uh, yeah, so we um, so we made we did a kickstart. We had the whole feature, and mm-hmm. then we took the one short that was the most contained and had the least amount of actors, which was yeah. the Babysitter Murders. Mm-hmm. Also, that has a big sort of huzzah at the end. So that was like seemed like a good one to like show people what the movie's yeah. going to be. Um, and we did a Kickstarter campaign, and we raised sixty grand to mm-hmm. make a short, which at the time was just mind melting. Yeah, I never made yeah. anything more than like ten grand. Yeah, in yeah. My life. Um, and so we spent, uh, so we made that movie and we played it a whole bunch of festivals and, uh, I got a lot of fancy meetings, uh, the same sort of thing that always happens, which like you talk to a lot of people. Um, and, uh, I was in a going in these meetings and, you know, people were saying like, we, we love the babysitter murders. What do you want to do next? We're interested. And I would say, I want to make this anthology feature. And just across the board, it was like, Oh, we want to do anything but that anthology feature. <laughs> and so it kind of became this sort of this repetition of what had happened years prior, which is like, oh, maybe I should take a hint that people aren't going to make this movie. It's just not going to happen. Because uh, genuinely, I felt like at the time, The Babysitter Murders was about as good a sample as you could possibly have Definitely. to get a, a feature started. And it mm-hmm. still was a no. And, and I think that was like, at the first time I was like, okay, I should maybe start listening. But as I was sort of doing the, the water bottle tour, I had uh, a meeting with this uh, this woman, Allison Friedman, at this one company. And uh, she said, look, my boss will never make this movie. Uh, most of our movies are around 300 million starting. Wow. Uh, but I love it. I love the feature and I love the short and I'd love to try to raise money on the side. Mm-hmm. And would you be cool with that? And I said, yes. And then I didn't hear from her for six months. And 
and genuinely this this one weekend me and my producing partner justin ross we were uh talking about how we're gonna just shelve the project we're gonna move on to other things not gonna happen and allison called and she's like i've found a little bit of money uh do you want to make the film what and a great so, exec. that's great yeah, yeah amazing amazing and so she actually left her job and put it all in on this movie. She'd found wow. uh, an investor and one investor. And she was like, I'm going to create my company off of this film. Not so much. I believe in it, which was, you know, stunning for what a hero. Staggering. Wow. <laughs> what a hero. I know. I know. And so we came. And so we sat down her, uh, Allison, Justin, and myself, we sat down. We're like, okay, how are we going to make this movie? Uh, we made this short for $50,000. Um, we, we can do this. Right. So then we, uh, we met with three line producers and every line producer, um, and a line producer is for people who don't know, is the person who basically tells you how you're going to spend your money. Yeah. <laughs> and all three of the line producers said, there's no way you can make this for any less than four times your budget. It's impossible. Wow. And so we were sitting there and we had this money and I've heard these horror stories about investors getting cold feet. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I think if we don't start making this movie, we're never going to make it. I think this, yeah. we're going to, we're going to lose it. And so I was like, we know how to make shorts. We've made shorts in the past. Let's just start making shorts and, uh, and use the money the way we've done in the past. No trailers, no mm-hmm. fanciness, just bare bones, just, and let's hyper-focus and see if we can make each story as complete and robust as possible. Mm-hmm. And so we started doing that and we shot um, two episodes here in Los Angeles. And then uh, we realized that we kind of, had used all of the vintage interiors that we could possibly find or afford. And we knew we needed Raven's end, which is the town the whole thing yeah. is set in. So we ended up going up to Astoria, Oregon where, um, where they shot the Goonies all the exteriors from the Goonies. Mm-hmm. And we shot um, all of the Santa Montgomery mortuary stuff there, all the town stuff there. Mm. And then we came back to LA and the final short was the bathroom short, uh, which we all, uh, which we built a small set in my friend's warehouse and we shot that there. Um, so over the course of the two years, it was sort of all of these shoots that got progressively smaller and more ragtag as we sort of struggled to actually finish this film Yeah. to the point that it was like me, my producer, Justin in the woods with a fog machine and my camera just shooting shots. And it was like, that's just a testament to sort of, what we had to do to sort of pull it off. And we kind of had set the bar so high for ourselves off the top mm-hmm. that we couldn't really go backwards. There wasn't really, again, this comes back to like not doing any sort of a half-ass short because we ran out of money. We were like, okay, how do we, uh, how do we finish this at the quality level that we started with? Yeah. Like for instance, the the first short in the movie, uh, the medicine cabinet, that was originally a, another 20 minute short. That was a very robust uh, sort of ghost story that tied all this, all of them together in a really interesting way. Oh. And halfway through shooting, my producers were like, we, we have to lose one of these shorts. There's no way we can pull it off. We can't afford it. And even if we could afford it, our runtime is going to be two and a half hours. Right. And so, um, and so they were like, can you write a story that's set in one room with like a limited cast and at first I was like, no, because that's how you always are when you're making a movie. You're very stuck on the thing you're trying yeah. to make. And then I sort of thought about it. I was like, well, I do like the idea of, of a silent film where it's one girl in a bathroom fighting for her life. Mm-hmm. And can I, can I tell a three-act story with just with that limited sort of those limited means? And that's kind of where um, the medicine cabinet came from. And I remember like I wrote it and I sent it to my producers and they're like, we love it. It's perfect. It's simple. We can pull this off. And I was like, we can't put it in the movie because it's not, it's not a real story. It's not like a fully fleshed out, like robust story with like a, a good twist or something. Nothing interesting happens beyond just what it is. And then I was like, hmm, maybe Sam can say that. Yeah, maybe yeah. Sam can be sort of critical of the story yeah, itself. Yeah, 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 and and in that regard, that. yeah. And she does say that. Yeah, it's great. She does say that, yeah. And in that regard, it actually became like, uh, like an appetizer mm-hmm. for a meal. Like it's, a, it's yeah. a small hint of what's to come and it kind of sets the world up a little bit more and tells you kind of what you can expect. And then uh, it kind of sets everything else in emotion. So it was, I, I, I'm really happy that we ended up where we did. I like that there's different like shorts in there and that it's sort of yeah. plays with expectation a little bit, uh, but other people might disagree. No, no, it's, it's great. And like I've seen like the response you've got and it's been great. But before we get to the, resp- the kind of like reaction of people, 
what at what point did Shudder after these two years and you kind mm-hmm. of finished it? Did they come it? Did they come after you'd finished it and after you'd done some festivals or some or something? Yes, um, yes, we played Fantastic Fest in 2019 right. at the end of 2019, and um, in Fantastic Fest, Shudder was was were the, like the first people that were interested, and they were the most passionate and the most engaged in sort of snagging it. And I will admit that at the time, I was a little bit hesitant about Shudder because. I was a subscriber, have been a subscriber, loved the service, yeah. but I thought, ah, this is a, this is a movie I want to like get to people who aren't the fans. I want to sort of yeah. get to broaden the, broaden the sort of uh, scope of it. Cause I do think it's a movie that appe- appeals to people who aren't necessarily hardcore horror fans as well. It yeah. can sort of, you know, ideally be like a, a gateway movie is the the dream. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so that was my first hesitancy, but that's just because as filmmakers, we're hesitant about everything because we've been shafted so many times we think we're always getting the worst deal yeah always. and it wasn't in, <laughs> always always and it wasn't until i started really working with the people at shutter and getting to know them and like like personally and just having understanding it how amazing behind the scenes are uh just personally they're just good people and they're working yeah. really hard and they love horror and that to me again it always comes back to the people that to me was yeah. what sold me emily on, on the shutter is so cool like, oh my god, she's the best. She is the best. Yeah, she's she just gets it. She just gets it. Like just, um, and and I think yeah. people imagine it. They're like, oh, Shutter of AMC. They imagine some sort of big corporate entity, but it's not. It's like a very small group of people. <laughs> yeah, who just love horror movies. Like it, just kicking ass back there. How I imagine it is, they're basically the Lost Boys. It's like a it's a bunch of kind of misfits, like in their in their kind of like yeah. Like, like clubhouse basically making making yeah. cool stuff that's what that's what they are the lost boys um so they so and they came, think, came in and oh. they said we'll have you on our platform and 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 what was your so your reaction was basically oh i'm not sure because it only goes to a certain amount of subscribers not everyone subscribed but then then what then what changed in your mind um I, I, you know, I, I don't know if it was like a big turning, a big turn. I think I was just hesitant. Yeah. Uh, I was hesitant with anybody that was interested just because I've heard horror stories of, of selling a movie and how you can sort of make the wrong choice and your movie goes away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think it was meeting, it was meeting them in person there was like sort of warmed me to the idea. And then the more I started thinking about it, I was thinking about, you know, Netflix, which is the gold standard for all of us filmmakers, you want to be on Netflix because you can tell your grandma to watch your Netflix and she has yeah. Netflix. But the fact <laughs> of the matter is, is that also you can like make a movie on Netflix and it, it, it sh- shows up and it disappears in a day. Yeah. And I started realizing like, maybe I don't want to be casting this wide net on mm-hmm. my first film. Yeah. Maybe I want to get this film to the people who I, who it was made for and, and, and let them sort of enjoy it. And also support a service that I, I really I really loved. So I, it wasn't a hard it wasn't a hard choice for Shutter. Mm-hmm. It was it was like just a quick second of like, do I want to do Shutter? And then the answer was yes. And then since I've been working with them, it's just been like, oh my god, what a, what a what a great choice that was. I'm so glad I didn't like do yeah. something else. Early I can't on recommend them I enough. Think, it's they, no. they it's just like like again we for for hosts we had those those, those same questions in the mind. We we got some like. We, we basically didn't really have anything to kind of pitch to people. We just had those two words, Zoom seance. And <laughs> they were the, that's literally what we had. So we were just like Zoom seance. And, but then everyone wanted that, just of those two words. And and Netflix were, Netflix were in the mix, but Shudder were the only ones who actually, they got it. And they were, they were like, yeah, we'll, we'll give you the money to, to make it now in, in lockdown. Um, so yeah. Like, and now Netflix is kicking themselves. Yeah. Yeah, they probably are. Yeah, they are. They, they uh, are. <laughs> well, they, they they came for us after after host kind of like blew up a bit, but um, yeah, cool. Uh, so so you you're on it went on Shudder about a week ago. Um, what has been the res- what has been the response? I, I've seen like good reviews like mm. across the board. Um, how do you feel now? It's like out there and people have actually watched it in there millions at least as a, as a million subscribers on the show and, and pretty much everyone's going to watch it so what's the yeah. mean for you uh, i mean i'm i i love it i think it's it's uh it's an interesting one because again we premiere again i, I worked on this i made the short in 2014 uh-huh. uh i finished the movie a year ago we were sort of set to do a big a big festival sort of run and then yeah. premiere on shutter the festival run went away because of covid and so 
I've just been sort of sitting on this movie waiting for a year for it to finally come out. So mm-hmm. there's that sort of aspect to it where I'm just glad it's out there. Yeah. But the thing that I think has really been um, amazing to me, I, I, I love the reviews and some of the reviews are like beautiful and they're, they're making me think about the movie in ways that I hadn't even re- things I hadn't even realized I'd oh, been really? doing that, yeah. that I'm like, Oh, I definitely, yes, this makes so much sense. So I've been <laughs> loving that aspect of it to like rediscover something you've created through all these different eyes. Yeah. But even just today I read, there was a, somebody did a post on Facebook uh, and it was, it was a Facebook friend, but somebody that's like a distant friend, you know, like mm-hmm. a friend of a friend situation. Yeah. And she wrote this really like really long, just beautiful like post about how much she enjoyed the movie. And I was thinking, I don't know. I, I got like emotional. It was like the, the fact that even one person that you make something, you spend your whole life kind of working towards a point and you make something. And even if one person feels it, it affects them that much, it's like, that's more than I could have ever hoped totally. to achieve. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's, and, that, and that keeps, keeps happening again and again. It's and great. Of, it's like sending your kids you, to school. That's what it is. It is. And like every, every time someone like gives you compliments, it's like you get in the, the, the report card back and they've, they've, they've done good in their maths test or something. That's how it feels like, Oh, my, my baby's done well. Um, it's great. No, it is, it's great. Well, and, and we know as fans too, we yeah. know, we know how important movies were to us and mm-hmm. how influ- influential they are and how like one movie like the evil dead Two yeah. or, or brain dead could, could sort of change the whole trajectory of your life. Yeah. And I'm not saying the mortuary collection is changing the trajectory of anyone's life, but if it's making somebody stop long enough to write a post that's yeah. that amazing, then it's it's doing something, and that's I, I I think I could die happy. Well, I I can tell you what what it will do. It will it will give people the um, the confidence to to make an anthology uh, thing again because previously I, I guess if you wanted to to pitch an anthology to someone, it would usually be shot down because there hasn't been really a successful one for a while but mm-hmm. you, you've made a quality collection um an anthology film which is i think it'll stand the test of time it's these classic stories great wraparound shot beautifully like i can't stress that enough i was so surprised at how like slick everything is looks so good like i don't know what your budget was and i won't ask but it Thank it you. looks no. It looks no, like thank a lot you for money. the compliment. Not thank yeah. you for not asking. I, I want so badly to to, to to say the budget. I just I don't know if I'm still allowed to. I, just, yeah, I've never known me. that. We've we've never said what host was, but like it wasn't much. Um, right. But 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 yeah, like like honestly, it's like it's really impressive, and I'm I'm gonna. Um, Thank you. Tell everyone to watch it. But but so so ne- so now so now you've done this. You've been mm-hmm. you were offered some other stuff and some exciting stuff. Um, and you got to work with um your hero, our hero, Sam Raimi. Mm-hmm. Um, I did on 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 his Quibi series. Now now how did that come about? Did he see the Mortuary Collection first, and then and then he and then you kind of. Uh, got the opportunity or did you just pitch him out out of the out of the blue and, and he liked your pitch i don't think he had seen the mortuary collection yet uh but yeah. i think he had seen the babysitter murders right um and I'd, I'd met over there at ghost house and i think they'd passed the babysitter murders on to him and there was uh the gag with the tv the tv smash gag yeah. had been particularly he'd been particularly fond of that <laughs> so i think i was on his radar um, yeah. But at the time, I didn't know what it was when I when I heard it, when my reps called me and they said, oh, you want to do this? It's a web. They said it was a web series for Sam Raimi, which to me, I was like, I don't know what that means. Uh, so <laughs> I just kind of winged it. Um, and then when I started, when I got on a call with Sam Raimi and I realized like, oh, shit, this is like a real thing. So yeah. it's the right idea. I was like, all second guessing myself. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and 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 I pitched sort of uh, Oregon Scared Stiff, which is sort of a. Uh, an episode about a, uh, a troubled taxidermist who gets a, a strange creature in the middle of the night and he has to rebuild it from scratch. Um, and, uh, and, and from then, and I think I ended up sort of, Sam Raimi ended up seeing the full feature before I made uh, my segment of it. And I think yeah. that helped sort of get him even more excited and sort of he, he really, he like helped me, you know, uh, sort of reached out to the producers and said like, Hey, like, you know, this guy's really great. Like give him, give them the whatever you you can because i think it's going to be special yeah. and that was what's great the the series is called 50 states of fright and mm-hmm. essentially it's a, a group of of really great uh sort of up and coming to somewhat established filmmakers 
who we sort of got to write and direct episodes. And then Sam kind of just gave us the power to do them how we wanted to. And so there wasn't, we didn't have to filter it through sort of a bunch of executives or, mm -hmm. or, or sort of studio notes for the most part, Sam protected us and let us sort of give us enough rope to you know, hang ourselves with it yeah. you know, if, if, if we wanted to. But I think that's, what's really great about it. And I know like there's some sort of controversy with Quibi and a lot of people don't have the service, but what's interesting is the the episodes that are out there, I think are some of the most interesting stuff that's happening in the horror anthology, uh, you know, episodic anthology format. Mm -hmm. I think it's like, it's, it's still getting its sea legs. I think if the next season happens, it's going to yeah. be a real banger. Yeah, I think so. And, and what was, how much was Sam kind of in, involved in it in terms of like, I know you said he was a bit, he was quite standoffish to let you do what he wanted to do, but was he there in, t um, in terms of like, like kind of molding the way the story went at all? Or how he was, was we, his, yeah. We got to do, we got to do script notes with him, which was really cool. Yeah. Uh, so we went and did a, a, a read through and he sort of would just gave us all the notes and all of his notes were like, just as what you would imagine. They're just Sam, Sam Raimi sort of inspirational, like, Oh, what if he did this? And I'm like, yeah, yeah that's great. Let's do that. Um, and then, uh, and then he had made, he made his segment first. Mm -hmm. um, so he had been there and then the, we kind of staggered in uh, the filmmakers kind of overlapped slightly. So I can, it kind of came near the end, but he did fly back up and sort of hang out with us and like, he got drinks with us one night and just like, we all, we all just were like, it was like a bunch of gushing horror nerds like, <laughs> trying great. to be cool in front of Sam Raimi. Uh, and who's like the most like disarming kind, just like he feels like he was like introducing himself. Like I'm a big fan. And I'm like, you're Sam Raimi. You're not a yeah. fan. We're fans. What are you doing here? Oh man. Like um, posters, even though it may not look like it, I would say it's very, very influenced by Sam because the entire time we were making it, we were talking to Sam and just his enthusiasm about like stuff. And and like you said, he's like, wouldn't it be cool if this happened? What and what about this? What if the what if the something happened like, like this? And you're just thinking, wow, like this guy is just so switched yeah. on. He knows films so well. He knows horror so well. And and just when you think you've got something like perfect, he'll suggest something which makes puts a cherry on top. And you just think, oh man, so spoiled, so spoiled. Um, That's the dream. Now you're gonna have to go back to working with not Sam. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, imagine. What's that gonna be like? <laughs> oh god. Um, but yeah, so uh, so after Fifty States of Fright, like because I've seen what Sam does to the, to, to the to the guys he picks for for his show, like he he then like goes, hey, I've got this other film. Like, so are you? Are you? Have you got anything in the pipeline after Fifty States of Fright? Any, anything? Anything with Sam? Maybe. Or yeah, I mean, obviously that is the dream. <laughs> I, I very much want to be working with Sam Raimi. I am actually working. Um, I so I wrote two episodes for the next season of Fifty States. Oh, nice. Of, of Fright, um, which was a fun uh, diversion that happened right at the beginning of the pandemic, which I very much needed for sanity reasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I, I'm also working uh, with uh, with those guys on the TV side on a, uh, on a on a really cool sort of TV project that I don't think I'm allowed to talk about. With um, Ghost House or Raimi Productions? Uh, I think it's Raimi Productions. Oh, nice. Cool. Actually, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, same difference, really, isn't it? Yeah. It's, a, it, it's the same cool people. Just, <laughs> yeah. They just put on different colored hats. When yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so so what can you what can you say about like future stuff you're doing? Do you have anything in the works that hasn't been picked up yet that you, that you, you can't wait to do? Any like big yeah. projects? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have a feature. Uh, so... The biggest thing, the biggest takeaway from the Mortuary Collection was uh, I'd like to make one movie and not five at one time, if possible. <laughs> uh, so I'm very much looking forward to making one story yeah. uh, with one set of characters and one set of locations. And so I, I do have a project that I'm working on right now. I just finished the first draft last week. Mm -hmm. um, that is very much, it's sort of like, uh, I can't talk too much about it because I'm probably going to destroy it if I do, yeah. but it's, it's definitely something I want to pass on to to Sam and the team. It's very much in their wheelhouse and it's, uh, it's very, it's very sort of a contained, but like Pandora's box type movie is sort of in the vein of how Poltergeist starts as, as, a, uh, as a family in a house, but becomes something much greater and more complicated and more beautiful. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, so it really lives in, it's, it's very much Mortuary Collection-esque, but a little bit more grounded, I think, and a little bit more del Toro. Um, so I, yeah, it's like going to be fairy tale, fairy tale esque, maybe. 
It's got fairy tale esque right. aspects, but it, but it's it's definitely it's horror. It's okay. horror first and foremost. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what what you do next, of course. And I'm looking forward to telling everyone I can about the mortuary collection. Um, and, and like I say, guys, like um, I can't stress it enough that I I've hated nearly every single. Um, modern anthology movie until now. The Mortuary Collection is the one good one out of uh, probably the last 10 years. I can't remember one I've seen that maybe the first VHS movie and then Mortuary Collection, I would say, is is, is the next great one. So uh, Shadow have got a, a, a great film on their hands and like, I can't wait to see what you do next, mate. It's going to be, it's going to be great. Like, but yeah, cheers, man. Uh, st- stay on after a press stop and we, we can keep talking. Yeah, absolutely, man. Cheers, man. And Thank like, you how, so much. Yeah. And how can people uh, find you afterwards? Is there a best way to contact you? In terms of um, not your phone number, just like on socials. Call, yeah, call my parents. My mom will take a message. <laughs> she gives me once a week. Um, yeah, social media. I'm on. I'm on. Uh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter, probably the most. Uh, Ryan yeah. Spindell. If you just search my name, you could find me. Yeah, and I'm pretty active. I'm doing better at it. Cool. So that's the Mortuary Collection on Shudder.com right now. And that was Ryan Spindell, who was the writer director of the Mortuary Collection. Um, he was bloody brilliant to talk to. Love speaking to him. We spoke for uh, probably another 90 minutes afterwards, um, just about horror, um, other stuff he's up to next, which he couldn't tell me on the actual recording. But he's got loads of cool things in the pipeline. It's really cool. And I'm so, so impressed with Mortuary Collection. I'm really glad that other people are too. I, I put online after I um, interviewed him, I put on that the Mortuary Collection is the best um, anthology horror I've seen in ages. And hundreds of you agreed with me, which is which is great. And, and like I said, the Mortuary Collection is also one of the uh, three films that are going to be in the Shudder drive-ins for Halloween. So you're going to see that on the big screen too. So very excited about what Ryan does next. Very excited about um, watching the Mortuary Collection again. Now I know a bit more about it from Ryan himself. Um, So stay tuned to Jed Talks because next week my guest is going to be incredible because it's basically the Halloween episode. So you can probably figure out how uh, good it's going to be i'm very very excited very excited so uh yeah until then thank you for coming to my jad talks and i'll see you next time